What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 263. And depending when you're listening to this, this may be the second episode of Movie Schmovie that has come out within six days, I guess. Like we got last week's out a little late and this one we're aiming right on time, hopefully. So if all the stars align, you've got two episodes of Schmovie within basically within one work week, which is just Goddamn yeah. impressive. I'm going to just say it, it John. Is. It's impressive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm talking to John. I'm Steve. How do Steve. we do it, Steve? How do we do it? I don't know. Well, I think we first start off by, in the in the beginning of the episode, we, we definitely start off by saying, I'm Steve, and then, you know, you guys say your name. So let's do that. Oh, I'm Ron. I'm John. And then to answer your question, John, um, it's just straight up dedication, bro. It's just all we do is think about <laughs> movie schmovie. All we do is text and we're like, let's make this happen. Everything else gets put aside. It's just priority number one. Am I right? I mean, we're all on the same page about that, right? Nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters. <laughs> it's such a casual choice on our parts, too, if you think about it. When one of us says, so do you guys want to record this week? And then we just say, yeah, sure. And then the other guy's like, yeah, sure. And it's like that casual decision changes lives within a few days you know think about that think about the listeners out there who then get an episode and it's like (laughs) it's like food for their soul right totally and we're just we're just we're kind of blase about it yeah yeah Yeah. well shifting culture and and that and and that yeah we're just here for another episode and we have a some cool stuff to talk about this episode i think literally right as we're about to record this our our little facebook thread of a messenger that we have going the We Are Groot thread for some of the insider info. Um, we, I sent it around. Ronald sent it around. We're talking about it. Basically, as we're about to record this, Disney on their earnings call this today, we record this on Tuesday, um, announced that basically Milan is going to be coming out as a premium video-on-demand rental on September 4th on top of Disney+. Plus. So it, it's a lot to think about because so you, you subscribe to Disney Plus for $6.99 and just mm. like, you know, Artemis Fowl came out, they went straight to service with that. Hamilton came out, they went straight to service with that. You know, that's a part of your $6.99 subscription. Awesome. Wow. Thank you, Disney. So, yeah. but with this one, it's interesting. So instead of going outside of just their streaming video on demand service and like allowing other everything that we always talk about, like Fandango, Apple, whatever, you know, Spectrum, um, to, to offer this premium rental for the normal window at, you know, usually they're $20, Scoob was 25. Um, they're doing something weird, which is that they're, they're offering it only on Disney plus on that date, but it's a premium rental of $30 on top of your subscription, as it stands now, there, there's there's rumbling that that may change. I don't know if that will. A couple sites I'm reading seem to think that that might adjust between now and September 4th. But, uh, well, first off, wow, because this this is the one yes. that we've been talking about since quarantine. It's just we're, we've just waited for this this one to drop, which is the the big huge budget blockbuster that is. Basically, foregoing a, a theatrical release, at least here in the States, I think it is going to open internationally in, in any theater market that has ex- exhibitors open. Even possibly, I don't even know if they're going to do it here in, in the States and some of the other, you know, like drive-ins and stuff. I don't know if that was clear or not. But, 
you know, we, we've mentioned like, you know, Tenet and, you know, Wonder Woman and Mulan. Like those three were always coming up and Mulan was always the one that I feel like we all kind of were most curious if it would happen to this movie. Mainly just because of how much it's been delayed and just time-wise, you know, they've already had a red carpet premiere for this movie right before the whole coronavirus thing happened. You know, they've already had tons of marketing out for this. And here we are, you know, what, what is like six months later, five months later and change. And, and they've, and they've made the call. So what do you, what, I mean, beyond the wow of it, it's finally the, the one is a $200 million budgeted film is, is coming to video on demand as a premium rental on their, on their over the top service. And what do you guys, what was your, you know, reaction? What do you think? What do you, what, what's your feelings on this? Um, my first instinct is if they didn't want somebody to get a cut of it um, outside of the distribution that they use, this is pretty smart. Um, I, I don't know. The price point is kind of crazy. But, you know, for the for the budget of the movie, the extra $10 may, will make a difference. You're watching a movie that you would have seen in a theater. This is it. This is what we'd asked for. This is what we were granted. And it's happening on our terms. We spoke. It happened. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the, the environment made it so that people couldn't go to the theater the way that they wanted to happen. And I think this is a pilot run. I think this is a test run. And I think this is going to create a standard at least until we're able to get back into the theaters again. I think people are going to see, okay, $30 for a $200 million movie. Okay, 10 it'll be 30 10 it'll be 25 10 it might even be 35 depending on, you know, if they wind up doing this. But I think this is the blueprint for what we are going to see in the industry for the months to come. And I think that Disney's pretty brave for doing it, even if it's going to be on their service. So that's how I feel so far. Yeah, it's kind of the payoff to the question we've had this whole time of like, what's going to be that big movie? And I think we've phrased it that way many times. And and Mulan was the most likely one because of all the stuff you already mentioned, Steve, that the, the fuse had kind of already been lit on this movie as a theatrical entity. It wasn't like some of the other big franchises that we keep mentioning that have booted movies back. And even now, Black Widow sitting in November looks a little suspicious to me, but who knows? Disney's already doing this thing. They did announce at the same time that they announced this like almost almost cautiously <laughs> saying don't yeah. think this is going to be our yeah. new model for all of our big <laughs> movies that have been taken off the schedule i think mulan is a unique case as with everything we want to say that becomes like our attempt to make a categorical statement about this this new weird time in movies there's something that makes it unique, you know, and this, you could say, oh, this points the way for how they're going to handle these big movies, but it also could just be a one-off in the sense that this is a movie that was like ready to come out in theaters. It was, it was, it was uh, also maybe not such a huge franchise. I mean, this is a big Disney movie. They spent a lot of money on it. Mulan has a lot of name recognition. All of these live action remakes of their classic animated films have, have had a certain level of success. Um, and this one seemed like it was primed to really feel like something about the live action upgrade really made this movie feel like it became this this historical epic or action movie or something, you know. So yeah. I could see this movie yeah. really, really being big for people. But because it was in that weird spot and it's not like 
a franchise where there's all this track laid for how it needs to come out and the kind of exposure it needs to have, it does almost seem like Milan became the movie that Disney was like, okay, this is the one we kind of have to get out of the way before we know what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yep. And for that, they came out with a way to put it out on a streaming service that they're already getting your money for. So that is a little bit of a scary idea. Does this mean Netflix is going to say, oh, this movie, we spent so much on it, we're going to make you spend more? Right, or right. is this, again, a very unique thing and a very Disney thing to do, which is like getting you in the theme park, you know? <laughs> you're in right. the theme park, you're on Disney+, and now you're going to spend a little bit more to get this premium content because because you're here, and it's Disney, and it's whatever. So yeah, I think it's really interesting. I don't know how much it tells me about the future. Um, and I do think $30 as a price point is going to cause a lot of people who aren't a family of three or four to really wonder, is this movie something they're that excited to see? As, sure. as a as I mean, at my house, it's a pretty easy sell that 30 bucks would be far less than what we would spend if the three of us went to see it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. I think it could be very successful for them, but I think this is still a very specific... Uh, decision they made about a very specific movie. Yeah. With all due respect to what you're saying, Ronald, about yeah, the fact yeah. that yeah. this could be the beginning of them of them saying, well, now we need... I mean, I think something between what Universal and AMC worked out and this feels like the, the actual answer. But this idea of kind of prorating the cost or adjusting the cost based on the profile of the movie, uh, based on the budget, you know, they even said, Disney said, based on how much we spent making this, we really want to ask a little bit more to let you watch it. Yeah, it makes sense, but it makes the future seem extremely variable. It is strange, man, to read it, to read it, to hear it, to, f to feel it with you guys. Because we're, you know, we're huge movie fans. We wanted to see this film like I said, like, I don't know how long this is going to be, but I think this is going to be the model until theaters open back up. I think people are going to keep making kind of strides toward. I don't know if it'll always be this level of film. Like, it won't be a $200 million film, but it might be a $100 million film. It might be $150 million film. I think it's just getting to the point now where, like, you know, they're, they're getting stopped up, man. They got to poop it out. And I think that this is going to be a way that they don't take a loss quite as big as showing it and then in a million theaters and them not going and people not going versus, you know, maybe missing out on 40 or 50 million dollars versus, you know, a whole hundred million, a whole 200 million that they may miss out on just because they're being stubborn about it. It is kind of interesting that they are going the whole... Uh you know, like that they're having the exclusivity of this premiere access for the Disney Plus model as opposed to like what Universal did with a lot of their titles where they kind of went across the board on the the PVOD options. And, you know, you, you would look at it and you would say, like, oh, okay, well, you know, if they went if they went with that 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 former approach where like it was on iTunes, it was on whatever, and that was the thirty dollar option. But if there was maybe a model where if you did have Disney Plus already you, you, you could still add this premium rental on, but it would be like half the price. or You know what I mean? Like you could position it that way so you're still reaching people that don't belong to Disney+. Plus. But then again, you know, obviously the approach is to, to get people to join Disney+, Plus as a subscriber. And it'll be interesting to see like what that looks like over the next month if they start promoting it as such where if you join, you know, and, you know, sign up for your first three months or whatever and prepay that, like you get the rental for free. I, I can almost guarantee... There's going to be some sort of marketing bundle like that to drive up the subscriber count because that's the other thing that they mentioned first on this call today, which was that 
they basically have already surpassed their five-year goal of the subscriber count for Disney Plus, like, you know, 57 and a half million subscribers. And I think they announced that as of yesterday, it was like over 60 million. And so they've achieved that in eight months, you know, which is, it's really impressive. And, you know, it's it's, it's Disney, you know, so like, whatever, I'm sure all these companies under underestimate that number so they can reach it before that timeline. Obviously, like, it seems like they all do that. But to get to 60 in eight months is really impressive. And, you know, and I'm sure they want to continue that and to, to be able to leverage that and do kind of what Netflix has done in this whole quarantine coronavirus era, which is somehow continue to increase their numbers when people have maybe less and less money to spend or maybe don't want to spend money on movies. But um, I don't know. It's just wild. I mean, you just think about all the implications of the, the, the money side of it. And them taking the approach of having Disney Plus be that premier access venue, you know, they they take 100% of that revenue, which is unique. And that doesn't ever happen with this stuff. Like everything that we've ever talked about on this podcast so far about this direct-to-consumer approach, you know, with uh, Trolls and, you know, Invisible Man and The Hunt and King of Staten Island, whatever Universal is dumped out. It's like, you know, most of their agreements is 80-20 with iTunes and the other platforms. And... Disney here gets to take 100% of it. So I can't wait to see what numbers come out, you know, in October, you know, when they finally maybe start putting some numbers out there because, you know, I was reading an article that literally came out like just before we were recording that compared it to, so if they have 60 million subscribers as of today, that they said last year, Aladdin, you know, how monstrous Aladdin was for Disney that it made like I want to say it was like 1.05 1.5 billion or 1.05 billion and that was through the traditional theatrical model where like it's basically 50-50 so Disney takes 50% of that and they were saying that the studio would need about of the current number at about 30 million people to rent Mulan on Disney Plus in order to match or exceed the profit that they made from Aladdin I don't know that that's going to happen but even if, you know, 25%, you know, that would be half, obviously, if, if of 60. But, like, even if 25% of their subscriber count, you know, that movie's still just on that digital platform, not even talking about theaters anywhere, you know, that movie is still going to take in over $250 million, you know? And that's, that's like, that's just, that's the Wild West right now. Like, this, this is, like, new stuff. Like, it's crazy to even consider that. Um, it is, man. That that's possible, and I mean, I think that's they're they're taking their shot with Mulan because it is it it does seem to be the one that they had um, this summer slash early fall that would be the one that was going to be their global smash beyond Hamilton. But again, that was next year. But this is the one that I think they're trying to make the money on or to see if it works. And yeah, they may be saying it's not going to be their model, but. If Universal and AMC are saying that they have this new thing going, eventually other studios are going to pony up and want the same, and other theater chains are going to have to agree to it because they really have no other option. So, you know, it's just another thing that is, like, constantly changing what movies will look like a year from now. And it's just wild to think about the different iterations of what that might look like. Netflix 
said they're kind of actively pursuing a franchise that is theirs. They, they mentioned Harry Potter and Star Wars, which is a bit odd because those two franchises represent something totally different. Harry Potter is obviously a, an adaptation of something that was already a huge success, whereas Star Wars was an idea from someone's brain. And I really think that is more what they're talking about from what I read. But I just wondered what you guys think of that idea that we've <clears throat> we've talked a lot about Netflix and their production value being being pretty solid, but their development process maybe not being what some of the other services is and and I do think the notion of them going for something for the ages like that does sound sort of unique or or it does sound like a different step for them I didn't know what you guys thought of that and do you think maybe this is a step towards them kind of platforming out maybe some kind of premium content on their own site or do you think that's just a Disney thing and that's really just this movie uh, and that other people aren't going to get ideas from this because if, if if Mulan's a huge success for Disney other streaming services are surely going to say, oh, wait, you mean we can charge them more? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I think it, it it's kind of Disney's in like a unique position because because they have they have their feet in both on both sides of the fence already. Like they have the theatrical presence and they have the streaming presence now where, you know, Netflix doesn't have that theatrical because they cannot get theater chains to play their movies. So like it's it's kind of like they they don't leverage that as much. I know yeah, I mean I get what you're saying and it is kind of scary to think about that, but I feel like Netflix has like built up its model, you know, to be you get what you pay for monthly, you know, and that's kind of where they drive it home where Disney is basically like, you know, in a situation or even the other studios that have done stuff with Pivot releases like you know, they are a theatrical presence, you know, and, and it's not available there. So if it's not going to be there, it's going to be on our own over the top service. And we're going to charge you for it though. It's not going to be a part of your, your thing. It's like, it's not, a, it's not, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Like they don't have, like Netflix doesn't have the presence that the other major theatrical studios has when you think of movie theaters. And when you think, honestly, when you think of just blockbuster movies in general, you know, Netflix doesn't have that. I know they may be developing that, but it, even still, I, I don't know how they would like delineate those properties from what you're you're charging me for my monthly service if, if that's really what you're baiting people to be a subscriber with. It would seem like more of a betrayal of their model, whereas Disney Plus is still new and Disney, we know, tries to get as, as many... They, 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 you know, Disney holds you upside down and shakes you until all the money falls out of your pockets. <laughs> uh, and Netflix, the, their, their sort of reputation has always been that it's a bargain. So I can see that maybe, yes, it kind of breaks their brand a little bit more to do that kind of thing. But I am intrigued by them... Uh, you know, thinking big with some big franchise like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Steve and I like, like packed for it. We're, we're signed for a couple of years for Disney yeah. plus. So yeah. we're, the, <laughs> the money, the money that we're spending, I know it sounds weird, man. Like I, 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 I think through my friendship with Steve and just being the person that I am, he, Steve has kind of got me into this mode because I've done it for like, video game services and stuff like that paying for stuff like my xbox subscription is paid for for three years I've, I've i've done that but steve got me into this idea of like paying for like streaming services like that and uh, i know i now do it with my phone carrier and stuff like right, that right, it's something right. about just paying a a, a a little bit up front for to have it for a couple of years and you're saving a ton of money 
Um, I'm glad that I bought into the idea of Disney Plus because at first with just Mandalorian, I was like, and then Hamilton came. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Then Mulan came. Okay, all right. And now you know it's it's a cool idea that you're right. Um, Disney does not have to abide by the same things that Netflix does. I mean, people understand that when they go to go to the Disney park, that they're gonna spend. $50 on the food. Easily. They're going to buy, you know. You don't have to, but you can. And nobody's saying you have to buy Milan. But if you want to see a movie that was supposed to come out in the theater, the $200 million movie that was supposed to come out in the theater, $30 is what you got to pay. And that's... It's, hold on, is that a rental forever? Is it, what's that, the terms a, of that rental? That's just a... Uh, I think it's a standard Peabody rental, which I believe it's like... You can start it within so many days and finish it within, uh, what is it, like usually within 48 hours or something? Within 48 hours. So yeah, that, something you know, like that. that's that's fair. Um, yeah, we're buying into this idea. And if if you, if this whole idea, people said that movie, if you believe that movie theaters are done, if you're one of those people and you don't want to buy into one of these models, you're an asshole. You either that or you just, it's one or the other, man. Like, you either go to the movies to see these films and risk your life, or you could get Netflix and watch some of their movies because you're buying into it. You're paying money for this thing monthly, or you're getting something off of Disney. At that point, you know, I understand that. So, here's another caveat to my statement about being an asshole. If you can't afford this stuff, I also understand sharing a service with somebody. But if you're buying into this this thing that we're all buying into, it's okay to spend a little bit of money from time to time. Right. It's okay. Right. It's it, you know you're buying into art. So like, imagine if somebody told told you that your art wasn't worth the money or what you did wasn't worth the money. That's what you're telling people when you're telling them that it isn't worth the money for thirty dollars. Just to see a film that you would have bought anywhere, that you would have spent the same amount of money for your kids and your drink and, you know, it just, we got to we gotta meet in the middle on this, man. And sometimes I'm hearing these complaints. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want? You think the Netflix movies are BS, so you get a movie that's a little higher end, pay the money. Right. Or don't, or don't complain. So I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on that weird-ass rant, but... It, no. You know, you, you're online enough, you see these rants from people, and it just gets a little exhausting. And you just want somebody to make a decision. Make a decision on this, man. You buy into it or don't buy into it. A few months ago, we were saying that it looked like Disney had kind of... Disney Plus did not have enough material to sort of keep subscribers involved. And now, it, I mean, not only did that, does that seem like it wasn't really true of the last couple of months that they did have a couple of things come out that, that people, you know, responded to, particularly Hamilton. But I think now their slate is starting to look a little better because it's, it's not so far off. We're talking about Mandalorian in just a couple months and uh, supposedly some of those Marvel series that's, that were part of the incentive to sign up for this. Supposedly those are coming still before the end of the year, or at least one of them, maybe two will be. So, um... I do think that the question of Disney Plus's solvency, uh, which I don't think we were ever worried it was going to go under, but we all said it seems like they didn't have a lot of stuff queued up after that initial blast of stuff. And that now doesn't seem like it was really a problem. They've kept people's interest with with something big and something eye-grabbing all along. And Mulan really seems like, yes, it's the... 
it's the cherry on the top of that Sunday, even if it is a premium on top of of that Sunday as well. And and again, I think it's interesting. Like over the next month, as much as stuff has changed, even week after week of us doing these podcasts, I I'm very curious to see what they announce like for that release. Like I, I I'm so I, yeah, I'm just intrigued to see if they do some sort of bundled marketing for like new signups, you know, to get the to, to get the rental as a part of your sign up. Or, or somehow to leverage boosting subscriber count with with the release of this, or for those that are already subscribers, or something, just to see what kind of marketing they do for this kind of release. As as simply because it's the first time they've done it, but I, I'm I'm excited to see that. And 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 a thing that Ronald mentioned, which I think is key, is like you know for for people, moviegoers, the general public, like that. So I think it's it's interesting. You you said you know when you feel like movie theaters are done. And that is one train of thought and, and that, that and, you know, you can make a case for that. And, you know, especially when you look at like ticket sales and, 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 you know, it hasn't gone up since like, I think it's like 2002. I remember I read like 18 years it hasn't increased. So yeah, it's trending down and this is like a horrible thing to happen for that effort. But the other thing is, is like, yeah, absolutely. You, you may think that movie theaters are done, but another mindset is just the individual that, you you are done with movie theaters, you know. You right? don't care. That's, you, right. That, you, you don't you don't care if it survives or fails. You were never going to go to the movie theater anyway. So right. you know what they need to do is leverage product, leverage these movies to try to capture that audience, which was a big part of what Universal's announcement with AMC was was doing. And I think we mentioned this on the last po- last podcast is that it's opening its product slate out to people that weren't ever going to go to the movie theater, whether they're not even interested in the conversation, you know, like, and I know many people that are of that mindset and no judgment towards them at all. It's just an approach to entertainment. They're going to watch what they watch at home. They're going to, you know, get a red box. They're going to get a video on demand, digital download, whatever they're doing, they're doing it from their house, no matter what. So what they need to do is market this in a way that's unique to those people because, this could open up an entirely new population of money to be had um, on a film's initial release, and you know, not down the line for purchasing, you know, digital sales or you know, Blu-rays, whatever it is. Like this is like an entirely new thing that for that person who was done with movie theaters to begin with, or are now for sure, it's just simply a way to say maybe come back to the idea of watching premium movies when they are coming out in theaters if we can deliver it to you like this and have a movie of the scale of Mulan which you know like it's amazing production value it's a huge huge movie and the trailer i think is incredible like it's a gr- it looks great so you know like that's an important thing to think about too and and again universal touched on that in their announcement last week is that you know the whole idea of trying to get the, the the movie out during that theatrical window, quote unquote theatrical window, you know, quickly is that you know your marketing is 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 bundled. You know the push is the same. You know that within three weekends for them, or in this case with Disney, the day and date. You know with this uh, Disney Plus release and and the theaters internationally that that don't have Disney Plus in their territory, it's just a crazy idea that you know you really could find people that would never have paid for this movie maybe ever 
you know, to be able to want to watch it now because of it, the way it's being offered, which is, you know, exciting and new, I think. Well, anybody got any other news they want to mention? So basically with everything that shifted in terms of, um, you know, people not being able to go to theaters, um, there's been an emphasis on trends that are happening and, you know, PVOD, VOD, uh, specifically rentals and, you know, iTunes charts and things that are happening. And I think that we would be doing a disservice to the listeners if we didn't kind of talk about, you know, things that are being highlighted and going up the charts based on what's happening right now and sales that are going on and trends that are happening. And so I was thinking that maybe we could try to maybe edge in, put in some uh, some of the charts that are happening, maybe including the Netflix and some iTunes rentals and seeing how that fits in. And then there's like a Fandango one that, that Steve was kind of talking about. But I think that we're going to try to weave that into our future episodes to make sure that, you know, you have some context of some of this stuff as to why the trends are happening the way that they're happening. Because we, you know, we're giving you pieces of it, but this is, this will create a, you know, more vivid picture and a bigger picture of what's happening right now. So. Yeah, it'll, it'll quantify what we're kind of theorizing about, I guess. Um, well, what's the best chart maybe to start with for this episode? I know we were, de- we were debating that before we recorded, but what's our, best, uh, what's our best one to look at right now? I mean, maybe we can look at iTunes and we can look at Netflix. Um, and then you said that was a Fandango one too, right, Steve? I mean, maybe we could do all three. I mean, Yeah, I think, I think like a good, yeah, Apple, Apple has, obviously, it's pretty transparent. Netflix is... Yeah, Fandango Now is their service, so like they have a pretty accessible chart. But um, I, I don't know. I, I usually use a combination of a couple different sites. I know IndieWire has a pretty good column that they release weekly about the the basically just the whole, um, you know, PVOD rentals. You know what what's going on. You know, with some sort of combination of movies being released in whatever drive-ins are available. But, I mean, it really focuses on trying to consolidate some of these charts. And I'll have to send you guys a link to that column so we can use it uh, for the coming weeks. But basically, it looks at Apple, Fandango, Spectrum, which has their own over-the-top option. Uh, It shows the Amazon Prime, Netflix. Oh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's a good picture of, like, you know, ones that you look for the, you know, you see the common denominators in some of these lists and, you know, movies that have been on these lists for four months, uh, you know, that are like Trolls World Tour we talked about earlier. Like, it's still in the top 10 on most of these lists, like right around the middle of the list for most of them. You can kind of take a second to pull it up if you want. And really, like, what you see on these charts is a mix of truly new releases and then based on pricing and marketing, like uh, a bit of an injection of like, you know, movies that came out last year or movies that are just straight up you know, classics like Princess Bride is like on the chart, you know, the top of the iTunes chart um, this week. And which is interesting because like, you know, you just think about the options that viewers have across all these different platforms and a mix of old, like pretty old movies, you know, brand new releases and movies that were still popular from like the winter slash fall of last year that somehow are still in some of these lists. But I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about what's what's kind of ranking up there right now it's interesting man because trolls you're right trolls is there um 
Princess Bride shot up to number one as a rental on Apple TV, which I'm no, I'm on iTunes, essentially. Um, Scoob, Scoob is always going to be in the top ten, uh, at least for the next couple months, because it, it's a kids movie. It's a it's a brand we know, um, both young and old know, and I think that's always going to be pretty consistent. Um, I think there's something to the idea that iTunes can kind of have the flexibility to drop prices on things and kind of let them go. They'll they'll bunch together based on you know holidays and things like that, and you know Ex- Extraordinary, which is a really good movie, is at that number ten and ninety nine cents, which is an incredible price for a movie that should be like ten dollars, honestly. Um, but yeah, so. That, that, those things kind of stick out to me. Um, the current war I know was retailing, um, not even a rental, for four ninety nine um, for the last couple um, days, which is that movie's brand new, right? It like came out pretty recently, um, VOD. So stuff like that. I mean, it it just looks like, it, and it's also surprising that some of the paid VOD movies always seem to be there as well. Like King of Staten Island is on Fandango now. And you should have left if you, I mean, I know. If, yeah. Should have left. That's all. That's one, a couple, the rental that we talked about last time. It's, it's, it's on a few of the charts as well. I mean, that's not as surprising because it is a new movie, but you should have left is a little bit more surprising because for kind of a small ish horror film, normally it would be totally gone from the charts by this time, you know, having come out four or five weeks ago. So, so that's an interesting one, but yeah, the, I think the most interesting one to me is the princess bride and, um, which is like you said, number one on Apple. And then, um, Amazon primes. Number one is the greatest showman, <laughs> uh, which is obviously a more recent movie than the princess bride. But both of those movies seem like kind of odd picks for number one, except for the fact that they probably are sort of, watch with the whole family kind of movies. And that's yeah, the kind man. of programming that you might choose at a time like this. Now, Princess Bride did have that uh, recent reenactment with all the all the uh, celebrities doing their scenes from home. Um, and that, that probably helped. But I think The Princess Bride is one of those movies that's kind of an evergreen that people are constantly showing to people and rewatching. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Greatest Showman confuses me a little bit. I know people love that movie, but I, I wonder why it would be number one in 2020. Uh, it could be the price point. I mean, I don't know. Like- There's a lack of content, which is making people kind of go back in time. And what did <laughs> I miss over the last couple months? What did I miss over the last couple years <laughs> in some cases? And... You know, if you see a a cheap price point of something being five dollars or cheaper, and I can rent it, ten dollars, right. right? You know, so, some movies are twenty dollars a buy on there. If you see something for five dollars to rent, then it's a movie you wish you would have seen. That goes a really long way, and they're they're kind of occupying that space where some really solid movies are getting that exposure because of that so I, I think that's really cool man there's also like probably some sort of logic like something like greatest showman the fact that it's got like a soundtrack that is like a billboard top seller you know like that never really that people probably never really stop listening to and you know things things coming about like you know the hamilton soundtrack you know charting high again and it probably like reignites some of that stuff and it kind of is like a triple trip uh, trickle effect i'm sure where like People are going out and like listening to that soundtrack, and oh, it's only three ninety nine on Amazon. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again or I'll watch it, whatever. But 
I'm sure some of those like mental checks happen like when things like that just by by like uh you know kind of coasting on something like Hamilton being like super popular again and the soundtrack I mean but I don't know like um the other thing that kind of was interesting to me like I don't really know much about it but that this movie The Secret that is like in the top 2 of Fandango and um Apple which are like the two biggest charts but um that's an interesting one only because again I don't know a lot about it but what I do know is that it had a lot of like social media promotion for it cuz I remember seeing a lot of stuff not really geared towards me but I remember seeing people posting about it because apparently that was supposed to come out I think back in April but um it was it, it's based on a book that was like one of the top sellers on like Oprah's book club and um like I want to say the book or or so, I remember reading something somewhere about like thirty million dollars or thirty million units sold of the book. Um, so I think that's a big thing, you know, when you consider like something finally coming out on like a PVOD service like this, where yeah, 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 yeah. Oprah's book club sold thirty million copies. Um, you know, and that and that comes out and it's and it's. Full, you know, it's full price. It's nineteen ninety nine. Like it's the standard PVOD price, but you know, it's it's at the top of both charts. You know, in the one two spot on either one, and that's actual, you know, actual revenue, not simply transactions. So I mean, that's I don't know what those equal in units, but I mean that's pretty pretty wild that that is at the top of the list. Because I feel like most people probably have no idea what that movie is, but there's obviously an audience that either, you know, knows it from the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey book club, uh, or, you know, and it's from like years ago, it's like an older title, but I, apparently it was, you know, something that was in development for a while, but, um, seems to be doing really well put out by Lionsgate. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how long that stays. What the, I, I like to watch that one, um, see if it stays in these charts with that price point. Like, cause it's really, it's really the only one on all these charts for the most part, um, that is a full price title. Like, you know, Staten Island's on a couple of them that is at full price and Deep Blue C3, which I know we are all watching when we're done recording this, um, is the only other ones that are like over $10. So that's a, that's an interesting thing to watch too. Cause that's, you know, you'll see probably the, the one or two new releases that are at full price. Um, you know, on the chart somewhere, but how long they stay there at that price. Like John mentioned, like, you know, that you, you should have left, like that's been out for, you know, over a month now, but it's down to five ninety nine, So it's kind of hanging around at that price point, not a full price thing. I was just noticing one of the Amazon films at number seven is Game Night and it is three ninety nine. Yeah. So that's a similar thing to The Greatest Showman where maybe it's just the right price point for a movie that is, I mean, Game Night is a guaranteed pleaser if you're sitting around looking for something to watch um if you are even thinking it might be a movie you would want to watch and you watch sure. it you'll you'll probably think it's great um and if you've seen it you know it's got rewatch value so that that it's you know i wouldn't be surprised if in a few years game night has the same kind of long legs as some of those those sort of like uh rewatch cl home classics as something like princess bride or or fletch or whatever movie it is that people you know seem to enjoy rewatching those kind of oddball films that don't have to be super successful in theaters, which totally yeah. some of them are, but you know what I mean? Like it's a movie that I I've recommended game night to a number of people and they always report back. Um, Oh, that was great. So I think that, 
movies like that probably have a home. I noticed right below that is John Wick 3, which is another movie that is just, people are going to dig that movie. They're going to want to put it on for, for a form of a cinematic comfort food, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I think this is a really good idea. Like, you know, we check in from time to time and see what's happening, what's trending. And I think we can figure out <laughs> why some of it is happening. And there seems to be some anomalies in between. So, yeah, that's, that's a cool idea. I do like that. I'll be looking at this. You say this comes out every week, this IndieWire thing, Steve? Because this is a great thing. Maybe before we record, we should we should look at it and just see what's on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that writer specifically, um, he... Um, I just follow his byline on on IndieWire, and he he posts a lot about uh, just like TV. I mean, um, not TV, like um, the the digital releases. You know, just like he probably has like maybe like I don't know four or five articles a week, but I mean they're all kind of around the the rental window, the digital window, the theatrical window. In you know, weekly there's some sort of um, it, I think it usually comes out literally on Monday or Tuesday, so we should be able to check this weekly and, and have it for that week's podcast to talk about, so that'd be nice. Well, you guys want to talk about a movie that we actually saw? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, and we should be clear, when, when we say we're going to talk about host, we're not talking about The Host, the Korean monster movie from 2000... When did that come out? 2006. We're also not yeah. talking about The Host, the sci-fi film that came out in 2013. We're talking about a movie just called Host, which is on Shudder, and it is uh, barely a movie. I mean, it's around an hour long, um, but it it does what a lot of people might be looking to do right now, which is figure out a, a, an interesting way to make a movie that feels very of the moment, because it's, it's set in a world where characters are social distancing, and they're getting together for a Zoom uh, call. Uh, so that can't be more right. relatable right now. And sure. similar to when the movie Unfriended came out, and one of the things that we remarked on about that film was that it used the the actual technology that people are using. I mean, it, it uses the gimmick of you're looking at a, a, a laptop desktop basically the entire time. But the fact right. that that movie used Facebook and... Um, and Skype and all these names of actual products that we use made that movie kind of have this sort of, uh, I don't know, gave it a currency. And I think this this movie, too, having been on many Zoom calls for, for social reasons, for professional reasons, <laughs> um, et cetera, I would say that this movie really did sort of capture host, really captured a lot about a Zoom call and used a kind of visual language that we all understand now. Do you know what I mean? It's very yeah. interesting how this movie was made. You can totally see how they made it, given uh, the way that pretty much all the characters are isolated in their little moments, but it basically plays out over a Zoom call. We kind of watch it in real time. Um, I found it really interesting. I found myself, this was one of those um, uh, leaning in in the basement with the lights off and and occasionally looking because there was a noise, uh, you know, looking around kind of movies for me. It reminded me of when I watched Paranormal Activity. Uh, where I just gradually got more and more like into what was happening on screen and leaning forward. Um, you know, it may be gimmicky, but it definitely pulls you in. What did you guys think of Host? Steve, you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't sound good. I, I got to say, I, I really liked it a lot. Uh, I, I, I think what John said is it. Like, it's something that I really wanted right now. Like, I wanted a really kind of fun horror movie like we've watched some movies recently that we would call horror movies and like they are also very good you know the uh the rental the lodge i also saw relic i like that um 
But like this was more of like like you said, John. You just turn the lights out and just want to get scared a little bit. And um, I had a really good time watching. I thought is you know it's it's just like it's like prime it's prime um, opportunity for like a filmmaker who wants to do something like this to do it now. I mean, it it kind of taps into something that everybody in the world is experiencing. And, you know, something that we've all been exposed to more than probably ever before, which is just the idea of, you know, quarantining and just even using like technology the way that we use it now for work, for personal means. Like I say, like I, we do these like movie nights with my friends across the country every week. Like this is what, you know, this, this is a feeling that you share now, like, you know, where you're existing together in two different spaces pretty regularly and, and in this world digitally and uh, online. So it was really cool. I thought it was really, uh, you know, yeah, like barely an hour. So it's more of a probably a short film, uh, borderline feature film, but um, moves super quick. You know, characters are fine. So, you know, you, you, you kind of get into a few of the characters specifically, like really kind of, you know, I don't want to say, I don't know, maybe care about them, like concerned for them um, as much as possible in 60 minutes. But um, I, I would say like there's a couple there's a couple sequences. I mean, obviously it goes for some of these like you know, you know, uh, f- this tech uh, s- zoom found footage mashup of like you know the the jump scares and things like that. But then there are some that are just like really chilling. There's a couple of really chilling scenes and like goosebump scenes and like there's a couple that really you know one specifically really got me like with a like a real like pushed me down in my pillow, like covering my face kind of scare, which doesn't happen a whole lot. But again, it's like I haven't had this experience in a long time of watching like a solid, solid horror movie that is trying to scare you, um, you know, not just kind of make you uncomfortable or, or kind of have a lot of tension like a lot of the other movies I mentioned were. But um, I also just feel like it's really impressive. Like I was reading about this film, like the making of it, and basically... You know, I don't know if you guys read about this or not, but like it started out like he he made a sh- he he did like a real Zoom call with his friends, and a few of them are in the in the movie. The co-writer of the film is is one of the girls in the movie, but like where he literally pulled this prank on them over a Zoom call, and it like he put the, t- the video up on Twitter, and it kind of went semi-viral, and that kind of like is what prompted this idea to make an actual movie about it, and. You know, from that happening to it coming out on Shutter, it was basically in the course of like twelve weeks. And you know, he's got a movie on Shutter that a lot of people were talking about. That as of last night was like a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is just crazy and impressive. And he's only twenty eight years old, and it makes me very frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Uh, But yeah, Um, I don't know. I thought it was really fun. What about you, Ronald? So, um, couple. So I have. A couple friends that are heavy duty in the horror. I'd say you two, uh, my friend Blake, who bought into the Shutter sort of channel quite some time ago. And he's been telling me in the last couple months that their original content has been getting really, really good. So, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna choose horror first, but I have some movies that I really, really love that happen to be horror. Um Wreck which is a a Spanish horror film that came out in 2007. One of my favorite films that happens to be a found footage horror film. I love it, man. So when I gave this thing a try, I'm, 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 I'm looking to just be entertained. My friend texted me and all he said was, see this movie, don't look it up, 
Just see it. Don't look into it. Enjoy the movie. So I, I got it. I watched it. And my mind was fucking blown away. <laughs> oh, um, good. Good. Yeah, I was worried you didn't like it. Yeah, I was worried. Yeah, no, 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 no. You hoodwinked us, Ronald. Yeah, so um, I think one of the things that bothers me about horror films in general is kind of... I, I love stakes, man. I love stakes, and I love the, the, the thing that I like about both Rental and this movie is that there's like a mistake that's made and a thing that you feel like you can't go back on that has this, these weird consequences that could happen to any of us. It's not even like a thing that, that, that's like crazy, like you trip over something. It's literally just a mistake uh, you know, you being short-sighted about something that could lead to chaos that happened. And I just think that, that this paid attention to little things. It really felt like a Zoom call because it was a Zoom call. It was the length that a Zoom call is. Yeah, I just yeah. think that there were little touches that fucked with me so bad. And, um, you know, I watched it and I liked it so much that I had to show it to Aaron. Like, I was like, I have to show this to Aaron. She has to see this movie. No, actually, we saw this together. It was rental that I wound up watching with her. It wound up being one of those things that I just, I, I could not put into words how fresh this felt to me. Yeah. I mean, this, this genre, Quarhar, that's kind of coming along, that I've read as soon as I looked at the movie up, that's starting to become a thing. I'm, I loved it, man. I, I cannot stress to you how much I fucking love this movie. Good, good. I'm excited. It. We all love this. Good, good. Okay, so let's talk about some of that stuff. We are going to do a stinger for this so we can talk about some of the things that happen, I think. I would like to You've talk to you guys stung. a little bit about that. Yeah, well, not yet. This is us in the flowers, you know, like uh, the humans are kind of coming near and we're about to sting them. But no, um, I think one of the things that really clicked, and we talked a little bit about that, you referred to it a little bit already, that these characters, they're not like the deepest characters. It's a short film yeah. and there are six or seven characters that they get across. But it's so... It's so careful and judicious with the character details that we do get from from the yeah. things characters say to the things right. they do to their orientation towards this this thing this Zoom call which is basically a, a séance. I mean, we can say that that's the setup of yeah. the film. It's people yeah. having a séance over a Zoom call, and their 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 attitude about being on a séance on a Zoom call is different from character to character. Right. But those little things they do establish about these characters, you know, right down to the, the decor in their room, what situation they're in. Right. And so what it does is it creates this situation where people can be together and yet they're alone. Right, so, right, right. so that when things start happening, they are all alone in their space, or at least most of them are alone. And I think that the, the things that those characters reveal about themselves by how they react to this, it did feel to me like these were if not deep characters, they're very realistic characters or very yeah, relatable yeah. characters. I think it's very late in the film that people start doing things. <clears throat> As with all found footage movies, there's a point where you go, oh, here's the part where I, would, I don't think I would be carrying a camera around, you know? Right, right. Um, <laughs> but this movie holds off and comes up with a motivated reason for people to be kind of sharing what their camera sees with the other people. Um, so it doesn't, it's not like you wouldn't walk around uh, if you had your friends on a Zoom call and show them what was going on in your house if some crazy stuff was happening. So it makes sense up until really very, very close to the end that it feels rather unmotivated for a character to be filming this. I think we could call that the kind of... Uh, 
Um, I was having a conversation with our uh, friend and friend of the show, Mike Finazzo, recently about the movie The Rental, and he had a kind of, oh, come on moment in that film, he said. And it's the moment when the characters decide to stay in the rental even after they found out something that most people would say, okay, that's it, I'm out of here. Um, right. And you guys can probably think of that detail. Sure. And I think this yeah. movie held off that oh, come on moment. Um, until much later in, in its runtime. It's very close to the end, in fact, when I started to go, hmm, why would they be trying to film this, you know? Um, but aside from that, the, all the character choices feel sort of motivated and believable, and I honestly, I came to realize how much I cared about these characters as bad things started happening. It wasn't like I was sitting there worrying about specific people. I just kind of mm-hmm. realized they all seemed like real people to me, and I didn't want bad things to happen to anybody. You know, I didn't think anybody deserved it uh, outside side of what you said, Ronald, that there is kind of an inciting incident. There is a character who does something unthinking, not knowing what's going to happen, um, that sets the, right. the the pace for the threat that comes. But yeah, I think that it's uh, it's like it's got an unusual potency to it. And I think the fact that it's made at this moment and it's about people who are reacting to this moment in time that we're all talking about all the time uh, with quarantine and, and, and isolation <laughs> and everything. I don't know. I just think that it's almost like it, it was right place, right time to do something really simple and make it feel really powerful. And I think the other thing about that, and I don't mean to say like powerful, like, oh my God, but there is something just, it's a physical experience to watch this movie because of the way it makes you react to some of the scares. And one more thing I want to say about that is just the fact that we are accustomed now to the scariest footage that we've ever seen, pretty much, is some grainy YouTube clip that you have to kind of lean in close and look at it to see what's going on. And you're kind of waiting. Um, Right. That's why Paranormal Activity, which I mentioned already, that's why it had such power, because it trained you to sit there and watch the screen and wait, and your eyes are just moving around. And this movie does that. And so the fact that it could be seen as a drawback, that it's sort of low-res footage and feels very homemade, but it couldn't be more of a feature of this movie. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, even as far as the characters are sitting in a room where you can see a doorway in the background, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who was constantly scanning the frame going, what was that? Or did I see something? Or is there going to be something? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it used all that stuff, all, all that stuff that we've talked about all the time when we talk about horror movies, all that real stuff that really creeps you out. And I felt like this was an hour of me watching a, a film that I know is going to scare me. And like, like you said, Steve, I don't normally want to look away, but there was a point late in this movie where I was like, I might have to look away because I don't want to see, I don't want to see that again. You know, I, know. I don't want to know, I don't want to yeah. know more about this threat. Um, but yeah, no, obviously I really liked it. I, I, I cannot wait to watch this with my wife and son who are enough of a horror buff, both of them, that uh, kind of threw me, that when one is really enjoyable and fun to watch like this, it, we all get kind of giddy about it, you know, so I can't Definitely. wait to, to force them to, to live through this. Yeah, and like just <laughs> recommending it to your friends who like horror movies, it's like, you don't even have to, you don't have to commit a lot, like, you know, like check this out on Shudder, it's 60 minutes or whatever, and, uh, you know pretty confident that you're going to like it you know to any of our listeners that are at all interested in this like i think this is one that we're all really excited to recommend i think one of the other thing it does what that was really kind of fun is like we talk about just you know utilizing the platform you know they actually used zoom to make this like they they got uh permission from zoom the actual company to use the platform in the film and to use it to film the film so i mean like the fact that you know the interface is 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 using things like pre-recorded video backgrounds for one of the characters that they use that becomes oh man you know that becomes a part of you know some of the scares later in the film 
it's it's so smart and it's so and it's so important to work little things like that in or or face filters you know that everybody uses on snapchat and all these other social media that you can use you know to like you know put a mask over your face to kind of you know be funny or to be scary or whatever um you know integrating things like that that show what technology looks like now um is is interesting and it's it's kind of uh I think integral to why it works because so many people have now experienced that kind of platform or been forced to in 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 this you know in in our world over the past five months that maybe never had before maybe wouldn't even understand what this is you know but now they have and I think it might be a, a gateway to understanding you know how that is genuinely creepy um, to be sharing space with people but not sharing space with people oh yeah and, man. yeah it's. Yeah, it was really, it was really, really good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, the use of the pre-recorded background, Steve, you're so right. The way they set that up, they show you that, and you almost believe it's just them kind of getting you oriented in the fact that this is a Zoom yeah. call, and this is a familiar right, thing. Right. But then when it comes into play later, it does it in such a kind of gut-wrenching way. And that, honestly, that whole scene, the way that plays out with that character is one of the most horrifying things I've seen in a, in a long time. When Agreed. we finally yes. see little snippets of that. Um, but I would also say they use brilliantly the person who kind of pops into the call and then pops out of the call and then pops back in later. Like how things have changed in the last 30, 45 minutes uh, amongst his friends, you know, I think that is really interesting. And one other thing they did that was really well deployed that they used that was straight out of Zoom is that sometimes when someone's coming on or going off for a split second, you see their their picture, their their yeah, the avatar. Picture. Yeah. Uh, that yes, and oh, and man. that has like a certain kind. Of, there's a way it's used in the movie that I honestly I found very uh, touching. I, it was it, there's a there's a moment when you see that you know people's avatars and it's like oh this like it's it it's played in such a way that is very uh, you know uh, I keep saying powerful about this movie. I, I'm kind of surprised to hear myself using that word, but honestly, it really did stick with me, and I really did feel like I just eavesdropped on a Zoom call that went horribly wrong, rather than I sat down and watched a movie. Right down to the right. fact that when the when the movie ends, the credits are are made to look like a Zoom. Um, oh, like a Zoom contact list. Um, and even the pace with which the person is scrolling through it, it makes you think about the mechanics of trying to scroll so that you're you're refreshing what you're looking at. I don't know. I, I, I really was into the mechanics of how this thing was put together and the visual achievement of making it fit really just exactly within um, this, this very normal mundane thing of a video conference call. Great, great movie. So we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in the stinger section. Buzz, buzz, bitches. <laughs> I was laughing about that when I was editing last the last episode, and Nikki was like, "What are you laughing it's at?" It's cracking me up when I heard and it. And I was yeah. like, Nikki, I, I had to explain it. I had to go around, you know, the explanation to explain why I was laughing so hard at buzz, buzz, bitches. But she did laugh once we finally got there. Well, I don't know. Before we before we wrap it up and get to the stinger, does anybody have any other little odds and ends they want to mention uh, that they watched? Oh, um, I saw Misbehavior, um, the women's rights movie that took place at the 1970 Miss World contest in, in London. Um, it's a British film that came out this year uh, that stars uh, Keira Knightley, Gugu, I do not know how to pronounce her last name, uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 basically about 
uh, a group of women that want to disrupt the 2000, I'm 2070, the 1970 Miss World pageant hosted by uh, Bob Hope, which who's played by Greg Kinnear. Um, it is a really good film, man. And it's one of the few films that takes place in, uh, you know, the women's rights movement, which kind of puts into question uh, where African-American and uh, minorities fit into this movement in a way that's subtle. And, um, you know, it's primarily, you know, a story about Keira Knightley. But there is some intersection that happens with Google's character, uh, Jennifer uh, Holston, who winds up not to give. The, I mean, you, historically, you can look this up. She won. Um, she is uh, from Grenada. And this is like a, a time where apartheid was a big deal um, because it was devastating up until the 90s. And still, you know, they're still seeing you know, uh, waves of how it's affected society in Africa. And the bounce back is kind of them putting black contestants in this uh, contest. And it's so weird how that took place in 1970, and there's still conversations that are happening now about the things that are happening in this movie. Man, it's a, it's a really good ride. It's it's b Believe it or not, in all this sadness about women's rights, this is a really good feel-good movie that's worth checking out. Um, it's pretty high on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's sitting at about uh, 80, 85 to maybe close to 90%. On Rotten Tomatoes, man, it's a, it's misbehavior. Um, really good film. I really enjoyed it. I was gonna mention I did watch um, on Hulu that series you recommended last week, Max. I really liked it, man. I love that guy. I love I love I've loved him in 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 Handmaid's Tale, but yeah, I love I love him, and I definitely definitely like that show. So I hope they make more of it. I don't know what's going on with it, but I hope they continue that story pretty funny i'm glad you liked it man it's yeah. silly man it's like a good escape we've watched it like three times it's just yeah, it's one of super... those you you notice new things every time you watch it man it's a strange strange show yeah super easy to watch like in in one sitting um yeah. and then the other one i was going to mention i watched um i finally got around to watching or I'm, I'm almost done the first season but I finally sat down and started the series Dark on Netflix, which I know a lot of people have talked about. I've, a lot of my friends have seen it, and we've talked about it briefly about like you know kind of how it was like kind of trending for a while. On Netflix. I know they released their third season recently, but um, I I love the show so far. Like I hope it holds on to what's happening in the first season, and obviously there's two more seasons that I want to watch. Hopefully by the next time we record this podcast, but. Um, yeah, just like a really, just, I, I love, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Like, it's not, it's not super, I don't know if it's like super heady. Like there's a lot of ideas going on in, in the show where it probably would confuse some viewers and turn them off pretty quickly. But I think it does it in such a um, efficient way to kind of try to manage things having to do, and this is no spoiler, but having to do with like multiple timelines and multiple characters in different timelines and keeping track of who's who and how they have impacted the past or the future, things like that. 
but it just deals a lot with like time travel and 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 black holes and wormholes and things like that um but it's a german series again there's three seasons of it on netflix it's got subtitles or if you can't stand subtitles um, which i prefer it is dubbed for anybody interested um i would so far highly recommended i love the first season so far it's super creepy it's got like a you know, it's got a, kind of got like a little bit of that Stranger's Thing vibe because of all the kids and teens involved in the story. Um, but then it's got just like a kind of a traditional kind of sci-fi thriller going uh, throughout it, it, it so far. Um, but yeah, so far, like, it's kind of one of those shows where you need to like kind of draw out character maps and like time things and remember, like, you know, I'm sure they're on Reddit. I'm, I'm trying to avoid them all, but, you know, like mapping the story out but for the most part so far through the first season um the story is completely logical and makes sense and i don't really see many plot holes so far but um definitely recommend it so far and hopefully again next week i can chime back in and let you know what i think of the second two seasons but yeah dark is on netflix for anybody that that may sound interesting too um i don't think i in a nutshell basically the story like is basically has to do um, with this town in Germany um, where basically these children start disappearing. And, you know, through those disappearances, like secrets and, you know, kind of connections and uh, backroom dealings about these like four families in the town kind of start to come to the surface. And it kind of is revealed that, you know, that there's something going on in this town having to do with like a nuclear power plant that has made an impact on the space-time continuum and has to do with those child disappearances. And uh, so it's a bit of, it's a big mystery, you know, slowly unraveling, but it's so far, man, I'm super into it. But that's what I've been really invested in this week so far since we last recorded is getting through that first season. I, I watched a couple things that I did want to mention to you guys. One of them is a uh, comedy special on Amazon Prime. Baltimore comic Jason Weems has a special called Unknown that is fucking great. Um, hands down. Uh, it's just, it's one of the most well-constructed, consistently enjoyable stand-up specials I've seen in a long time. And it might be a little bit of the local connection and knowing his personal story a little bit. And it might also be seeing Ronald, your girlfriend, uh, your your fiance, uh, Aaron, is is actually one of the first faces you see <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, I kept watching the audience to see if you were in the in the special, but they they sh- they, they did the smart thing. They left you out. They cropped it so that you can see Aaron. Um, but uh, no, it's great. I mean, it's just if you think Jason Weems, if you guys have ever seen him locally and you think he's funny, it's like he really brought his A game uh, this special. And it it's like seventy two minutes, but you know how sometimes you're watching a comedy special and there's like an ebb and flow to it. Um, and you kind of go, well, he kind of lost me, but he got back into some more interesting material here. It never flags. It's just funny. And he stays in touch with the crowd throughout. And again, if you've seen the guy do what he does, you know that he's, he's a great comic and unknown definitely, uh, is proof of that. But, um, the other thing I watched and it's kind of a flip side, like, whereas unknown is a great comedy special in that you're kind of spending time listening to this, this very funny person talk to you for over an hour. I watched another movie that was almost like the ASMR version of a documentary. It's a movie called Gremlins, The Puppet Story, which is um, Chris Wayless, the guy who did the the effects for Gremlins, who did the sculpting of the creatures and the creation of the puppets. 
basically is talking in a soft, nice voice throughout, and it's about an hour and a half long, and it's almost like a lecture with a slideshow. It's all of his photos from the creation of the puppets for Gremlins, and he talks about every stage of developing the technology, developing the look, developing, you know, uh, the, the what color fur the Mogwais are going to have, all this stuff, and it, it is very much like you, you kind of could settle into it and almost phase in and out, but it was so calming. He's got such a measured way of speaking of it. He's such a, seems like just a really uh, low key guy about this, this kind of seminal film that he was part of. Um, but it was very interesting if you're a movie nerd and especially if you have affection for that movie and that era of practical effects, seeing all the trial and error and seeing all the stuff they did on the way to those iconic shots in that movie, um, which you see that movie now and there's something kind of quaint about the, the puppetry and the animatronics, but it was, it was, uh, something really new for its time. Um, and I mean, as, as someone who really loves that movie and really loves the sequel too, um, yeah, it was just really interesting seeing the, you know, some of those early versions where like basically uh, the Mogwais almost looked like baby Ewoks for a little while. Um, the look of the Gremlins was pretty much intact right from the beginning, but the way they created things, I mean, there are so many puppets, they had to invent a new style of puppetry just to have one shot where a gremlin throws a plate or something like that, you know? Um, and some of the stuff they came up with, they don't even use, but you know, that, that thing about practical effects, there's invention going on at the same time as filmmaking. They're actually having to create something that didn't exist before. And I was just thinking as much as I love the modern era of uh, tentpole movies and you know, I'm a big fan of blockbusters. You don't have that anymore. You don't, I mean, outside of a few movies that occasionally a movie comes out and there's a sort of a new technology or a new way of doing things. You don't really have that how do they do that effect uh, the way you used to. And I, I think watching a movie now would be a lot of people with, uh, you know, motion capture dots in a green screen room. Um, as opposed to this, which is a, a bunch of weirdos huddling in, you know, over work desks and sculptures and trying to figure out a way to make a, a gremlin hand pick something up. That is really cool and really tactile and really interesting. So if you kind of want a very relaxing deep dive, check out Gremlins, A Puppet Story. But yeah, I mean, again, if you if you think you could handle that kind of dryness, I do think the, the footage is pretty amazing and the photographs are really cool. And uh, just the story of... of you know, trial and error is is something I really appreciate sometimes. That's pretty cool, man. Sounds like something I want to check out. Yeah, I think that was it, man. We we recorded late last week, so like, uh, really hasn't. I didn't even get a, a chance to miss you guys yet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll have a lot to talk about next week. I'm sure. Yeah, we gotta got we some will, new stuff. Man. Yeah, we'll talk about some some goodness. I think. I want to watch. Uh, when this comes out, most people. I don't know if you. Like Seth Rogen, uh, his uh, new movie, An American Pickle, will be out on HBO Max. If, if that is of any interest to you, I hope to watch that, and hopefully we can talk about that next week. Um, it looks funny. Yeah, I'm really excited to see it, so hopefully it's it's good. Me too. Um, love, I love Seth Rogen, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. So, um, But yeah, are you guys, anything else you want to throw out? Are we good to wrap this up? I think, I think that's it. You good? John, you good? I'm not just good, Steve. I feel good. <laughs> if you're good, I'm good. We'll wrap this up. Um, you guys can find us movieshmovie.com, facebook.com slash movieshmovie. Um, comment on this post if you found us on Facebook. Uh, let us know what you think of Host. If you uh, were interested enough to check it out, or if you've already watched it, let us know uh, what you thought of it. And uh, if there's anything else that you're watching at home that you think we should be checking out as well, let us know what you think about the idea of Mulan coming out for $30 on top of Disney Plus on 
September 4th. Definitely would like some feedback on that. Are you renting it? Are you going to, are you going to get it when it comes out? Tell us, let us know. Um, and besides that, we'll, we'll check in with you guys next week uh, on a new episode. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, please star rating, write a review. We, we'd really appreciate it. Um, I, I don't know the number we have, but it's it's abysmal considering how long we've been doing this. Um, so if you could help us and do that, that would be much appreciated. Uh, it would be. Again, on Apple Podcasts, thank you in advance. <clears throat> but, yeah, that, that's going to be it. And, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. As always, you've made our day. Thanks. Buzz, buzz, bitch. <laughs> so yeah i mean you know the host is so elegant and simple or host is so elegant and simple that there's there's not a whole lot to unpack about like the mystery sure. i just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about about how how well they establish what the stakes are what the problem is and then how at the end we see the manifestations um <clears throat> the idea is they're all getting together for this seance and they're not really fully taking it seriously and at a certain point one of the one of the women Gemma. Uh, sort of teases the woman running the seance by by telling her this bullshit story about somebody that uh, that she knew when she was in high school that hung himself and and that she feels guilty and that she she would like to speak to that person and right. that turns out to be completely made up and and then the woman running the seance is like oh no this is going to be a problem because if we're letting spirits through and you gave them a story like that they can now use your lie as a cover story because you kind of gave them a face or a mask i believe she says to wear yeah. it's really yeah. simple and and it's a really it's a really i mean you really have to kind of accept that in 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 the moment that it occurs you're sort of invested and the pacing of this thing has already established and it's about 20 minutes in so it feels like it's time for something to start happening and you kind of go with it but i thought that was a really clever way to then have you watching every way in which this manifestation sort of mirrored the material that Gemma gave whatever it is that's on the other side. Like she gave it the idea of appearing in this way. What did you guys think of just that kind of that invention? It felt like a new slant on a very familiar thing, which is a seance or a, you know, a possession type story. Man, I, I thought it was cool. You, you just have things, you know, I've watched um, many of, Aaron's happy hours, or at least heard them. And, you know, you've, I've done comedy on Zoom. I've done all these things on Zoom. But a seance, I was like, okay, this is something that I haven't seen done through this. And it adds a dimension of loneliness. Because, you know, when, you, when you're getting your card read or something like that, you're with somebody to process anything that comes back from that. But to be in your own space and to process whatever comes from the forces that be, whatever those mystic forces are, it's terrifying, man. <laughs> it's terrifying. And that isolation is shown through that in a way that I just haven't seen in a really long time. So You see scenarios like where you just try to pull pranks on your friends over Zoom or, you know, even in person, like you just try to scare them or, or dial up something that is just completely exaggerated and, and see how far they go with it. So, I mean, seeing that kind of thing just put into play with a, you know a zoom call 
when you're trying to do it like a seance like it's just it's like a nice little mix of you know humorous intentions and now you know there are <laughs> deathly consequences you know what i mean so it's it's that kind of thing and you know seeing the friends uh you know discussed with her doing that i think it was haley the the one who was hosting the meeting um you know that 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 kind of relationship you could you could kind of like feel the relationships through their individual conversations when they were talking to one another you know which friends get more upset with her for that prank when it happens which ones laugh it off which ones are taking shots every time they you know a certain word is mentioned by you know the woman leading the séance yeah they decide to drink when when every time the woman says uh, uh astral plane um the funniest was when he was like what kind of plane was that you said <laughs> <laughs> But like there's the characters that are joking around about it and, and you know from horror movies that the people that joke around about the danger are, are, are making it worse, you know, and, and yet you can see that they're still sort of having fun doing this, even if they, it's like, it's going to be fun to be scared maybe is what they're, is what they're thinking. But, um, but yeah, I thought those different relationships, that's kind of what I meant before when we were being non-spoilery. I thought it was interesting how, how well I understood how at least each of these characters feels about the supernatural or whether they believe in it or the extent to which they might kind of believe in it. Like the character of Emma was trying to stay light. She's the one who was using the, like the face filters or whatever. Um, she's tr she tries to stay light and seem like she's not shaken up, but as things really turn, she's the character who might be the most shattered by it. Um, although I think the character of Caroline, who, who seems to die a little early and maybe has the most horrific uh, death in a way because she's just being forced like something's bashing her head into sure. her computer and wow. we're only yeah. seeing it break through the uh the the pre-recorded background in these little intervals and every time we see her she looks more messed up and it's just horrifying because she was the character who was perhaps the most openly scared and openly like weirded out by this um right right, right. she's also in the house with her father and nobody can help her and the other woman is in the house with with her boyfriend and we see what happens to him and that was some crazy shit so it's just yeah, like dude. it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're alone it's going to get you even if you're not alone but the fact that so many of these characters it is like we're having fun this is a blast but now that i'm scared oh shit i'm alone in my apartment and i just heard a noise um, and the way that people blink in and out of the conversation, there, there just was so many cool things that made that made me think about, I, I could almost imagine myself in a situation where it started out fun and now I'm kind of freaked out. And I, I why did I do this to myself? It's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of dynamics at play, which you can kind of, I think really helps the movie in terms of seeing the different connections in these friendships and overall how they all kind of are together. But there are different connections throughout the, you know, the five or six of them over the course of, you know, the short movie. But I think that all just serves to work and make it, make it work so efficiently in such a short runtime um, that, you know, is a case for just, you know, being efficient. And we've talked about that a couple of times with other movies on this podcast, like recently even, but just kind of like, you don't need tons of exposition. You don't need tons of character development. If, if it's meant to be this kind of movie, you just need enough to show and you need enough to show enough of why it matters to each of them and then why it should matter to us. And I think, you know, in, the, in, in, in general and, and very, very effectively, this movie does it and, and quickly. So that's huge. I think it's good stuff, man. I will suggest this to every person I know that watches our 